Welcome to another edition of The Brand Called You, a video and podcast show that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome someone I've known for some time, someone who's achieved a lot professionally and is now doing his own thing, Arvind Nair. Arvind, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashutosh. Arvind is from IIM Ahmedabad. He's the chairman of Carpe Diem Capital Partners. He has been CEO and MD for Hitachi Home, Domino's India, Jumbo Electronics, and DLF Retail Mall. Arvind, what would you say are the three key milestones in your career? Hmm. I think the um, first would be getting into IIM. Okay. Because at least, uh, at least, let's say 30, 40 years back, to break into an organization and get someone to give you responsibility, okay. you needed uh, a stamp. Yep. And I think IIM was a great stamp. So I think that probably was the first possible... Uh, first possible. Uh, and which batch of IIM are you from? I passed out in 1979. Oh, so you and I are the same vintage. Oh, right, right, right. So that is that I would think is the first major, major milestone. The okay. second was I got the opportunity to be a CEO very early. Small company, difficult situation. That was Amtrix at that time, Amtrix Itachi later. Hmm. But it was a great opportunity. It was I was working with a very, uh, how should I say, inspired C- promoter in Sanjay Lalbhai. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave so much of room to experiment, to, you know, to try different things. And it, it was a great learning ground. I yeah. think it grew from like 8 crores to 250 crores. But it is great working and building an organization. So I think that was the second one. Uh-huh. And the third would be Domino's. Because Domino's was my first international brand. Mm-hmm. And again, in a very difficult situation, the company had, you know, was like a BIFR. All its equity was wiped out. and It was a new sector just emerging in India. Nothing was defined. Mm. And a lot of scope to invent and, you know, create and build. And that was an awesome experience. Very fascinating. So let's talk a little bit about Domino's, you know, since you mentioned. Domino's, as you just said, had become almost a sick company. And yet a few years later, I was reading somewhere, uh, the market cap of Domino's India was greater than the market cap of the global company. For a brief while. For a brief, right? What was it that you did that was so different? I think that the most important thing in bringing any international brand to India is to to adapt the brand to the Indian consumer profile. It includes many things. In India, for example, real estate is nearly as expensive as the real estate in the US. Correct. But the uh, per capita, how much they can afford to spend per pizza... Mm-hmm. Way different. I mean, in India, $2 is like a lot of money, right? In the US, the average pizza is $10 and nobody worries about it. The, the, the third thing is the whole culture. Pizza was seen as a snack. So you have to convert it from a snack to a meal. And it was a snack for children. Yeah. There are a lot of, lot of ways in which you got to adapt the product to suit the, the local market. You can't just do whatever has been done anywhere else and make it work here. Mm. You also can't have the kind of stores they have. They got stores like 1200 square feet and here you have to try and reduce your rent. So you go to like look at 800, 850 square feet. Correct. So the little bit of redesigning of the store, redesigning of the, of the menu, redesigning of the pricing. One good thing we have is volumes. Correct. So the idea is to make the ticket size smaller, volumes larger, higher throughput to redesign the whole economics. 
Mm. India is a huge country, so you've got to plan your logistics costs to suit that. Mm. It doesn't work to have one store in, in Nagpur and one in Goa; it just kills you. Correct. Those kind of stuff, I think we did, and once we did that, we sorted out the model. And then what we did is we made an impossible promise, which no consumer could believe will actually you happen. Thirty minutes. Thirty minutes of free. I mean, a lot of objection. Domino's International said. we have stopped doing this more than 10 years back you shouldn't start it india you know power cut situation traffic situation board also had concerns you know but that worked because people really didn't believe it's possible somebody will give such a bland you know unconditional offer 30 minutes mm-hmm. free so they all tried their luck and we really we worked for one year trying to perfect this 30 minute of free promise and when we started delivering people loved it amazing i agree with you But you know, just one more question for Domino's before I move to the next phase. Sure. I've often wondered there have been so many food brands that have come into the country. The only one that seems to have survived and thrived is uh, Domino's, and second maybe a McDonald's. I can't think of any other other brand which has consistently delivered value to the consumer. What were you doing differently? So combination of factors. uh like i said in india real estate is more expensive yeah so if you are going to create a value brand like mcdonalds and including pizza hut and uh, dominos mm-hmm. i think a delivery model has the opportunity to be more cost effective than a restaurant model because you require less real estate correct so something that really works works for for people mm-hmm. secondly if you look at a pizza pizza is designed for delivery when a pizza comes out of an oven it's too hot to eat you can't eat it it'll burn it'll scald your mouth right it is perfect to eat in 10 minutes correct so it is like god has designed it for delivery <laughs> so your real estate is more efficient you can keep your prices very competitive you know and it's a very easy product you can open a box and eat so we designed a model which is simple and uncomplicated so you just open a box but even if they come into a store to eat we don't give them plates and forks and spoons and stuff we give them in a box Mm. consumer is fine they just pick it up in their hand and they eat it you know so the whole model is very cost efficient you can keep your prices competitive and the advantage of pizzas is you can indigenize and you can make local flavors mm. a lot of i think more than uh, 55 60% of pizzas vegetarian mm. you know so you can localize it you can um, put paneer and you can put masalas and stuff like that mm. so there's a combination of those factors very interesting of course the last part is the financial model the each store if you work out the economics and make sure they break even within one year then after that it is throwing cash then you can also find you know funnel your growth you want to keep pumping equity for growth so i think that it's a combination of consumer interest and the financial modeling that made domino the success that it is terrific wonderful so arvin let's move to your new baby the carpe yeah. diem capital partners yeah before i ask you about what exactly you do in it after success, such a successful corporate career why did you start off on your own so there is a period where you are uh, you are uh, you are the guy who's doing the batting you know you are the guy who's doing the running around and creating value and doing the you know nuts and bolts of the business and that takes like 70 80% of your time when you're a ceo and i've been a ceo since 91 mm-hmm. so after being a ceo for uh, nearly 20 odd years i decided to go into private equity okay 
Okay. Before that, I was working with one of the Goldman Sachs program on uh, women entrepreneurs, and I was I was mentoring. Mm-hmm. So for me, ment- private equity was a step up from just mentoring as a hobby to mentoring with capital. Mm-hmm. So you got a little more skin in the game. So then you are doing the 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 fun part of the business. You are providing equity. You are uh, you are consulting with them. You are partnering with them. You are mentoring them, and you are seeing young entrepreneurs grow. Wonderful. You are probably spending seventy uh, percent of your time on the ten percent of the business, which is the most fun part of the business. Wonderful. So I think uh, it was a, it was a natural process. Understand. And I had two good partners, and we said, okay, let's go ahead and do it. So that was fun. So tell me about Carpedia. What How did you start this off? What made you start it? You already told me about what made you start. What sectors do you focus on? So uh, three of us got together and we decided to set up a private equity firm. We focus on consumer products and services. We look at look at budding leaders, people who we think are potential leaders in the category. So we look for new categories, mm-hmm. and we are uh, we we are we invest in entrepreneurs with whom we have a good equation. good working equation that means it's not that we are going to run the business for them but it's more like we can build partnership with them so there is a certain amount of listening for each other you know mm-hmm. i think that's very important for us and we also work on being the first institutional investor so that when we go there we have a mandate it's not a financial mandate it's a business mandate so we really spend quality time with every investing company we spend anywhere between 4 to 5 days a month in a business in one of our enterprises Hmm. In our first fund, we raised about two hundred and four crores, mm-hmm. and along with co-investments, we invested around two eighty-five crores. We made eight investments. Mm-hmm. One one is fully invested. It has done exceedingly well. Mm-hmm. I think its gross IRR just before COVID was tracking at about thirty-nine percent, which is very good. Incredible, yeah. I think even after uh, after COVID, we are expecting the IRR should be well above twenty-five percent. Mm-hmm. And we are in the process of raising our fund too, and we are targeting to raise maybe five hundred to seven hundred crores this time. amazing good traction amazing amazing so you know before you make an investment uh, what are the key metrics that you look for you just said that you would want to have someone as an entrepreneur who you may have known earlier no, what are the other not necessary okay. but person with whom there is uh, there is an equation you know okay you need a person i mean between identifying an opportunity and actually investing the window is as as long as 6 months right so in the 6 months you spending a lot of time with them you know so we look for uh, look for businesses where we think can become a potential leader to give an example we have invested a first investment a baby investment was a company called biryani blues you must be familiar yeah. with the brand yeah yeah i you interviewed know? the founder okay mm-hmm. you know raymond okay mm-hmm. so our first investment was when they had three stores mm-hmm. very very early they had 70 they were doing some 75 lakhs odd per month now they are doing over nearly 5 crores a month amazing and they've gone from 3 stores to nearly 40 stores but all in ncr mostly now why did we bet on them one because we like the promoters you know good professional background yeah, they yeah. have a commitment they want to build a brand second we think among all indian foods biryani will be a leader okay because that's the only indian food that delivers well most indian foods don't deliver well you order puri bhaji the puri becomes soggy you know there are very few indian foods that can deliver well and biryani is one of them and you can eat out of a box you order it open it eat it watch your tv or movie or whatever and it, it's a great meal right everything is in it so we identified that as an opportunity there was no particular leader in in the biryani category 
I think last uh, last four months, one of the research indicated that during COVID, mm. during the lockdown, the most ordered food in India was biryani. Wow! So in a sense, it 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 uh, how should I say validated our assumption that this is going to be a category that will grow. So like that. Mm. So we looked at a category where there is no particular leader. We think we can build one. Then we'll back the promoter. We'll spend mm. time on time with them on strategy on recruiting people. The whole whole jing bang, yeah. Mm. But we spend quality time with them. Very interesting, and then you mentioned you know that uh, once you made an investment, you spend uh, f- you know four to five days a month with or four to five days a month per investment. How does a private equity investor get involved in the governance of an investee company? Many ways. So very often the CFO is uh, a person whom we jointly recruit and appoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly we don't need to find a CEO or CEO. Exceptions there are. Mm-hmm. Then we find a specialist in that category. If we can find a spe- if we are a specialist, then we don't find one. But let's say we invested in a in a, in a company called Yantra, which is doing mobile phone repairing and re- refurbished mobile phone. So we then look for a person who's a specialist in the category, and we appoint him as a consultant in that business. Okay. So that the the promoters get specialized inputs relevant to that industry. Mm-hmm. Then we spend quality time. We are on the board of all these companies. Like I said, we. Meet formally at least twice a month, mm-hmm. where we review all the financials and we are we participate in most key decisions, okay. most capex decisions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But by and large, we don't interfere. If if we if we disagree, then we prefer to go with whatever the promoter wants to do mm-hmm. because ultimately, that that's his baby, you know. So, mm-hmm. but we do express our views and we debate and okay. I think it's, it's important to maintain a a good relationship with them, yeah. not talk down to them. Correct. Wonderful. So my next question is that you know there'll be hundreds of people who are wanting to start up who will watch you and me talking. At what stage, in your opinion, should a startup entrepreneur look for funding? When they need the funding, I guess the okay. simple question answer is. But but generally, you must delay looking for funding as much as you can. Mm-hmm. The earlier you raise fund, more of your equity you're giving away. So my recommendation to entrepreneurs is. Delay it as much as you can. That means you get an idea, test the idea, you keep your costs down, you you know set it up, prove the idea that it works, scale it up to a certain point, and now when you want to take the big leap, look for funding. Why? You don't want to risk all your money on the big leap if it goes wrong. Secondly, when you go with the private equity fund, very often they have already got the experience of making a small company big, so they know what the possible risks are, what the possible You know, traps could be what to consider. You know, like very often entrepreneurs are very creative, so they want to do ten things at the same time. Correct. But doing ten things at the same time doesn't create value. Mm-hmm. You want to create value, you got to take one idea and become the best in it. Mm-hmm. They get bored. So one of the things the private equity guys do is to keep them focused on what will create value, not what is interesting to do. Right. So I think that those are the kind of roles that that private equity plays, and I would suggest delay it as much as you can. Wonderful. And one last question on private equity before we move on. Yeah. Uh, when do you or when does the private equity investor look for an exit? Is it just value based or is it time based as well? So normally the pattern is that you are looking for an exit around four years. Four, three to five years is the kind of window so that you would have created enough contribution, created enough wealth. But very often the exit is a function of the opportunity to exit. Okay. Both, both are, both are important, right? 
sometimes we don't exit if the if the, if the, if the interest another in, investor's interest comes too early then we'll continue to co-invest and like like in one of our one of our funds which is a company called sinduja which is which is uh, doing microfinance mm-hmm. within one year we got a proposal so we didn't exit so it was a nordic fund which wanted to invest so we co-invested with them we were getting a like a like a like a literally a a 50% up on within one year of what we had invested but wow. they invested like that okay so it all depends on the timing but normally around 4 years we start looking at exit unless it's a platform okay. if you're creating a platform then we'll stay invested for a longer time hmm. we might dilute but stay invested very interesting so arvind let's move on to uh, the next part of uh, our chat you know and this is on second innings okay you have embarked on your second innings as a private private equity investor and when i say second innings i'm just segmenting it in the sense that there is an age of superannuation in the corporate world let's say 60 and then post 60 every a lot of people want to start rethinking and you know you've done extremely well in your capdm journey but there are a lot of people like you and me who are transitioning yeah who haven't prepared at what stage in one's life should one start thinking of what to do next good question i think probably when you think you have done enough of whatever you have been doing so far and that can can happen to anybody some people earlier some people later i mean being a ceo is great fun but after some time it it becomes more of the same thing correct you know every day you are going to the same board meetings and you are doing the same uh, performance appraisal and then after some time you get tired so it's better to get someone else to do it some young blood to step in as a ceo and do it and then you can take a more advisory consultative kind of a so whenever you feel you're ready for that i think that's the time to do it and more importantly in your career you would have developed a lot of skills with your experience correct so when you design your second inning the intention is to give hmm. the intention is to contribute right whatever you've learned whatever you've got uh, contribute so, so 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 that that's that is a fundamental foundation of your second innings that's the way i look at it so i've got time for a few questions for you personally sure my first question is uh, you know such a successful career so many years in the corporate world great private equity startup where do you draw your inspiration from i i don't know how to define where you draw your inspiration from but i i, I like to have fun and for me this is fun i mean i i i i i play golf i have fun i i and work for me developing a business and growing a business seeing an entrepreneur grow that is fun i like to play bridge that is fun i lead seminars for a organization called landmark that is fun so i think it's about uh, living it fully okay. you know so i don't know whether that that answers your question but it's something of that sort i like really going to have a blast you know okay next yeah. question is how do you set personal and professional goals how do i set personal and professional goals i don't have long term goals mm-hmm. i have short term goals short term goals could mean what i want to do in the next one year okay and then it will it will boil down to what i want to do today so every day i have a list of what i want to do today mm-hmm. i have a schedule but there is always a plan on today what i am going to do because all of life is happening today So I'll, I like today I had a plan I'm going to have a chat with you and then six o'clock we were playing golf then I got something else in the afternoon I'll, every day is I have something planned I don't do I may not accomplish all of it but it is there so, so 
Yeah. My next question to you is that uh, if you Arvind were a role model to millions of children who closely followed your life choices. Yeah. What is the one thing you would change in yourself? One one thing which I took a long time to discover is uh, I always had this drive to prove myself. Okay. If I were to relive my life, I would give that up. this drive to prove yourself comes in the way of paying attention to what you are doing you know if you can be free of that you have nothing to prove okay there is more freedom in life correct nothing to prove do what you love to do and give it your everything but if you are focused on you want to prove yourself then you one one eye is on the outcome and one eye is on the action instead of that put both your eye on the action i think you'll not only enjoy doing it but you'll probably be more effective that's one thing that i have learned for myself well said well said my next question is what does success mean to you i mean end of the day you you had a fun day mm-hmm. you really had a fun day you enjoyed yourself okay it was a blast so i think that is success okay. so it is like how should i put it instead of looking at success as something again same thing proving yourself mm-hmm. as a place to reach why not why not be successful and participate in whatever you're doing okay right. i mean there is so much to acknowledge right if you look around Correct. you and i are blessed people i mean how much how much how much time do we spend uh, acknowledging how blessed we are correct yeah so uh, something like that yeah okay okay i mean if it makes sense but no no it makes everything that you said you know these are your answers and all of them make sense i've got time for two more questions for you yeah what would you say are three words that describe you three words three adjectives mm. so three adjectives so one is i am i am relentless mm-hmm. i don't give up mm-hmm. i have clarity mm-hmm. whatever i'm doing i'm very clear do or not do either i have a view and if i have a view it's clear or i don't have a view okay there is no concern of clarity and third would be i'm very fair okay for me fairness is a, a very significant virtue okay all all uh, great words all great words thank you and my last question to you and i come back to the pandemic yeah my question to you is that how are you rethinking your life in the new world order as in a post pandemic or generally post pandemic so you know the pandemic has taught us a lot of lot of new lessons right i must tell you the last 6 months nearly have been probably the best 6 months in my life correct it's a little weird to say that considering there are so many people who have fallen sick and stuff like that but i've discovered so many new things so many more efficient ways of doing stuff yeah. which frankly yes i was such a creature of habit mm. i have to go to office and i have to meet people and i go to board meeting i have to actually it's not necessary mm. today i you know i am on the board of a company in dubai for two days board meeting you know you have to fly and you got to stay for two nights now we do board meetings not every quarter we can do a board meeting on the drop of a hat we can do it every month yeah. every two weeks we can have a board meeting if some issue comes up and it will be only for 3 hours and the meeting is over in 3 hours and 5 minutes later i'm having lunch with my wife I don't have to go to the airport, catch a flight. So quality of life has improved dramatically. Mm-hmm. I have learned so many new things in this period of because there's so much of time. 
I I learned uh, I I learned what is it called uh, Sudarshan Kriya, you know, Pranayam technique. I did a one month course on uh, Shivanand Ashram's yoga. So I'm a qualified yoga teacher. I don't know who I'm going to teach, but I'm a qualified yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. I last three months I have learned bridge. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. So there are so many new things uh, you you're discovering you can do, and I spent quality time with my wife and my mother. She's ninety four, which wouldn't have happened. So. Right. I, I think it's taught us a lot. I don't think any anything is going back to normal. I mean, there's nothing called normal. This is a new normal. Correct. I like you know. So so I think everyone has the opportunity to to deal with the circumstance. I mean, the circumstance is the circumstance. Correct. It is better for you to deal with it rather than talk about it. Absolutely. If talking about it is not going to change any way. But if you deal with it, you will create a new reality. So that's what I discovered. Well said. Well said. Arvind, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. I love lead on to us to take care see you bye 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 thank you for listening to the brand called you video cast and podcast a platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.